Welcome to our evening service tonight. We want to begin with number 160, Lamb of God, Thou art now seated. We've been thinking today in our services about the ascension and the return of Christ. And of course, one of the important ministries our Lord continues to do is His intercessory work in glory. And this particular hymn uh, speaks to that. Let's stand pleased to sing, and we're going to watch the words of the first verse while the instruments play, and then we will join to sing. But you're welcome to stand as we watch the first words, please. out with all our hearts. seated. That's good, singing tonight. And uh, we do not sing that hymn very often, but the words are very precious and it's worthwhile. We will put that down and sing it again before too long to the Lord's praise. It's good to think and dwell on these great biblical doctrines and the work of our Lord to think about, 
to turn it over in our minds and in our hearts. It is encouraging to us. And so let's be often at that place. We have so much of the world that creeps in. So many daily responsibilities. And if you're in the secular workplace, well, that's just compounded. Well, it's good even in those times to be able to take a moment throughout the course of the day and just sing the praises of the Lord over in your own heart to Him. Because the Lord has promised that He will come and He will cause rejoicing in your heart. Let's bow, please, now in prayer. Our loving God and Father, we wait tonight again in the name of our Lord Jesus, and we rejoice that we have this solid ground both to pray on and to know, Father, that we rest our souls upon the finished work of our Lord Jesus. We have the great hope that as Paul spoke in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And Lord, we are thankful tonight that the Spirit of God has placed within us by divine sovereign grace a changed heart, divine nature. We have a love for our Lord Jesus. Now we have been forgiven all our sins. And Lord, tonight we know that we have a home in glory. And I pray, Father, that we would think much each day on this great truth, that we would rejoice again for the knowledge of the doctrine of the ascension of our Lord and of His session at the right hand, the majesty on high. Lord, we know tonight that we are graven on the hands of our Redeemer. And we know, Lord, that those hands are presented before You continually. And Father, I pray that we will draw great encouragement from this every single day. Strengthen us with might in the inner man. Lord, we, we love the Scripture. We love the Word of God. It has been written on our hearts. And we are thankful, Lord, we can pray the Scripture back again. And as we pray over the promises, we pray over the prayers of worship in the Psalms. We pray, Lord, over the doctrinal truth of Christ in our hearts. And we can rejoice. And Lord, we are thankful for the promise of answers prayer. That as we seek our God, Lord, that You've promised to hear and to answer for Christ's sake. And dear Lord, tonight I pray for this evening's service. As I pray publicly and as the people of God are praying in their hearts that the Word of God would be open to us and the Holy Spirit would take the things of our Lord Jesus and reinforce the truth to our soul. And Lord, we want to be changed people. We know that that process is in place. We know the promise of our sanctification. And yet, Lord, we ask that we will not miss a beat. We will not be out of step. We will not lose out a day. Oh, God, help us, we pray, to grow daily in the grace of our Lord Jesus, that we will mix the Word of God with faith, that we will, whether 
It is in the driving of the car or the walking down the street, in the workplace, wherever we are, that the light and the beauty and the joy and the peace of Christ would be our portion. So, Lord, bless us, we ask. Sometimes, Father, life gets so busy and we can be so distracted, Lord, with so many other things. Yet come, we ask, and give us a sense of, of cementing our, our thinking and our thoughts. And let us be always firmly grounded, not blown about by every wind of opinion or doctrine. But Lord, as we see ourselves in Christ and on that foundation that no other man can lay, but that which is laid, which is Christ, we have our resting place there. We have built our house upon the solid rock. And Lord, we don't want to be on the shifting sands of worldly opinions. So be with us now. Remember this congregation, Lord. Remember, we pray, each one who has been set aside by different elements of sickness or hospitalization or surgeries, whatever the case may be, Father, come to that very place and touch the bodies Touch the minds and the hearts of every single person in need, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. Lord, come and meet us all where we have that need. Save our unsaved family members. Restore those that have drifted away. Lord, we are thankful for the evidences of the work of grace, and we pray that will continue. Dear Father, Bless every faithful preacher of the gospel connected with our own body and also those outside of our denomination but who are faithful to the Lamb. Lord, may there be a great ingathering of salvation today. We do think of our brother Diderno as he has commenced his ministry in Fredericton today. Lord, bless him abundantly. Be with his family. Help them to get all the travel issues and accommodation and sorted out and just get busy about the work. And Lord, we ask that in the other centers that we have ministers that are serving and those places without pastors, bless them and help them in this time of vacancy. Our Lord, remember, we pray, the needs of our missionaries, places where they are serving, places where they have left their own homes to go and minister to those people who are there, bless them, we pray, and may there be increase and encouragement along every step. May they know the reviving of the Holy Spirit in their own hearts and ministries and families and works. Lord, we commit all the meetings that are going on and that will yet go on in this next little while. And Father, we pray that we will know the power of the Spirit of God for every place of service, every meeting. Remember our school ministry. Remember, O oh God, the day-to-day -day needs of staff and of students and of parents alike. And may our school know the protection and provision and the supply of all that is necessary. And so, Lord, hear our prayer. Draw near to us now tonight. Bless us as we continue in our worship. We ask, Lord, also to comfort the hearts of those that are grieving tonight, those that have lost loved ones. 
and also to encourage and bless families that are rejoicing over the births of new members of their homes and families. Lord, bless now tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Number, hymn number 500, 100 rather, and 57. 157, we will stand again as we sing, Far above all is our Savior and throne, crowned is the Lamb who for sinners atoned. I th- I think that's not the right one. No, I think we have to replace that one. And it's uh, number 636. The reason is because I chose this hymn, and the words are very good, but the hymn is, uh, the tune is not familiar to us, and so we had to make a change. So we're going to go over to number 636. 636. My apologies, and I think our men will get that and change up on the screen in front of us. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide. That's the one we will sing now.
Returning to the book of 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth or hindereth will let, will hinder, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming." even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and 
work. The very opening of this, the second chapter, well, he speaks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, of course, was addressing the return of Jesus, His second coming. There was among the Thessalonians in that day an element of confusion. Some of those people had been deceived, it's believed, and as Paul addresses there, whether it seemed to be a a word or a doctrine that was taken out of context, or whether some had come among them attempting to deceive them, or whether it had even been a letter that was supposed to have been sent by Paul, but was not actually sent by Paul, all of those things perhaps led them to some element of confusion about the return of Christ. And so he spends some time to clear away some of the confusion. And some of the confusion was, well, they wondered, was Jesus going to come at any moment? And he told them, no, that's not the case, for there has to come a great falling away first before the man of sin would be revealed. And of course, that gets into the whole aspect of eschatology and how you will evaluate and see that man of sin. Who is he? Where is he? Where will he come? And so Paul was having to help them to understand that there had to be some events happening, first of all, before the Lord Jesus would come back again. And the reason why we're reading this chapter tonight, dealing with the second coming of the Lord, well, we'll come back to that a little bit later in the message, but we are thinking about one of the most blessed truths of the ascension of the Lord, His bodily ascension. It had to do with the bodily return of the Lord Jesus. And that's a great theme and a great subject and well worthy of our regular consideration. That's what we're going to be thinking a little bit about tonight. Before we get to that, I want to welcome you all to our evening service. Very glad that you're here again and in person. We had several visitors in this morning. Well, that should be no surprise to us, but really a note of thanksgiving. And of course, whenever you see new folks in the church, be sure that you make every effort to make them welcome, and you shake their hands and encourage them, and make sure you let them know you're praying for them. So we thank God for that. And then as folks return again, well, we're very happy to see you back. And no less is that invitation and thanksgiving and encouragement to those folks viewing our service online, whether you are nearby whether you're at a distance. If you are nearby, then we encourage you to come in person, that we will be able to see you and welcome you. But if you are from a distance, well, we're thankful for this open door of technology that God gives us to be able to spread the Word of the Lord. Well, we mentioned a couple of of congratulations today, and I learned also that our brother Eddie, Edward, Uh, He also had a a birthday this morning, and I don't know, brother, if you're watching the service tonight. We didn't have a birthday this morning, but he turned a very good, ripe age, and we're sorry we didn't uh, know at the time we would have been able to wish him a very happy birthday as well. But congratulations also to those families who recently had new additions to their homes as far as grandparents are concerned. No immediate ones in our church, but the grandparents are here, and we're want to say a word of congratulations to the Cleland family and also to the CU family that they 
uh, rejoice as well. Remember our brother Andre Lyons, please, in your prayers as he lost his grandmother in Jamaica, and they'll be making their travel plans to go down to be uh, with the family uh, during this time. And our sister Anna Tan, I did not know at the time she was in the service this morning, but watching online tonight, I believe. But Anna, she is so thankful for the prayers of God's people during the time of her surgery and being set uh, aside, not able to get out to the house of God. And she is so very appreciative. She has sent a note along, gave me this morning, and let me read this to you tonight. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I am very blessed to be in the family of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love with prayers, hospital visits, phone calls, and the lovely cards during my stressful time. Yes, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit comforting me, giving me peace and joy and His grace and strength during my weakest moments. His grace is sufficient for me. I was very privileged to have doors open for me to witness to Him during my, in my weak state in the hospital. And thank you for all who are your prayer warriors, she says, and so love in Christ, Anna. So that's an encouraging word, and she wanted to express the thanks to the congregation tonight. Continue to remember in prayer our sister Serene and brother Ron. It's good to see these folks out of the service again as often as they can be here. And we know Richard Teo is out this morning as well. And for these ones who struggle a lot, it's great to see you. And you are an encouragement always to us in the house of the Lord. And so uh, keep on going. And uh, we're thankful to the Lord for you all. Remember, please, some of the ministry going on this week. First of all, we have the fellowship time right after the service tonight downstairs. You're all welcome to stay for that. Wednesday, our Bible study and our prayer time is 7.30. And then remember, next Lord's Day, our Bible classes for all ages. It's been good to see some new ones coming along, boys and girls, and even some um, ones for the teen class. So 9.50 is our Bible class next Lord's Day, and that at 11 and 6.30. Our communion service will be after the evening time, evening service next Lord's Day. Remember, please, our presbytery and prayer coming up October the 2nd to the 6th in Winston-Salem, the Port Hope 30th anniversary meetings the last week of October. We'll give you some more details about that as far as the exact timing and date and so on. There's also going to be on the 28th of October the 30th anniversary dinner in Port Hope, and uh, those details will be there, and we'll let you know more about that, but please set those times aside and ask for your prayer also for the American Council of Christian Churches will be held in Kittery, Maine, and it'll be the middle of the last week of October, and I will be speaking there in the will of God, and so please remember these things in your prayers. We want to worship the Lord again in our song tonight, and we will sing. I left out one hymn there tonight because of that one. How about turning back to number 634, 
634, Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Let's stand as we worship the Lord with this hymn. Don't forget, please, the outreach cards that we have printed and prepared. I encourage you to take some on the table at the back, and we hope that these are going to be mailed out around the Malvern community. We have printed about 10,000 of them, and as they go into the homes of our neighbors and friends, that the Lord will take and use the gospel that is printed on them. And I would ask you to pray very much that they will be used for the glory of the Lord. Turn, please, now to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1, we read 
the first 14 verses this morning. A couple of weeks ago, as we were thinking of the final command that Jesus gave to His disciples and to the church, we concentrated on the eighth verse, and we read the first eight verses. The Lord said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, of course, the apostles that were living then did not see the full outcome of that command, because, of course, they were limited how far in all the world could they go, but they went, first of all, in their locality. And then you may remember that in the early chapters of the book of Acts, persecution came to the saints at Jerusalem, and when that persecution came in, the saints were scattered out, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Sometimes the Lord will use a time of persecution, a time of trial, and it upsets us at the time. But the outcome is for His greater purpose, and the outcome of persecution, the outcome of everything that happens to us in our Christian life, is ultimately for the Lord's glory. And so, as the church was spread out, they began to see the literal fulfillment of the preaching of the gospel in other parts of the world. Well, how was that seen in the early New Testament? They were limited by their travel. They were limited by the time they had. But what do we see today? We see as we come closer to the return of Christ how that the gospel has gone through all the corners of the, earth, of the world. And by the technology of the internet and a ministry like Sermon Audio, where the Word and the Gospel goes out far and wide, we are living and seeing the reality of this command being fulfilled. And yet, is there more to do? Well, of course there is more to do. There is always going to be more to do in the fulfillment of this command until Christ comes back again, because until He returns, He will not come back until every last detail has been fulfilled and completed. And so, that's what we were thinking when we were considering that final command. So, we're going to pick up our reading now tonight at verse 9. And when Jesus had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you, into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, 
which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So much encouragement can be drawn from these verses we have read. After they had seen the Lord taken up from them, the two men that stood by them in white apparel, you'll notice they were not two angels, but very specifically two men. And of course, many have wondered, who were these men? Were they the two that were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ when He was glorified among Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah? May well be. But the point is that they were there to address the men and the message that as Christ has been taken up from you, He will so come again in like manner as ye have seen Him depart. And there was reason for them to be about the work and the ministry, the calling, the commandment that Jesus had given to them in verse 8. And that's what they went to do. But they had to go and wait in Jerusalem. Now when we were studying our in, in the prayer meeting in the book of Acts, We dealt a little bit more with this Pentecost, of course, and how they went and they remained there in prayer until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And you notice that as they were gathered in the upper room, the apostles were all there, and the women were there also with them praying. Some folks have a notion that Women should not be involved in prayer along with men, but that's not the way the Scripture teaches us. And that's why in our prayer meetings we joy to have men and women together seeking God, praying, calling upon the Lord, because it is following this pattern of Scripture in the New Testament. We want to draw our thinking again from verse 11 that very statement that we have that we focused on this morning. And before we come to that tonight, we'll just pause and ask for the Lord's help now. Father, as we have this Word open now, we pray once more for the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, helping us to understand, and I pray, Lord, to have it applied to our heart, the truth. And Father, there might be some area that we have special need tonight, some believer, some specific area of encouragement or instruction or maybe even rebuke, Lord. I pray that all of us will have open hearts to receive the Scripture and the truth. 
Father, we have to confess that so often we are hard of heart and slow of hearing, slow of understanding. We're like those two on the road to Emmaus. And the Savior yet came and joined Himself to them and opened their understanding. And Lord, we pray for that tonight. We pray for an opening of our understanding as believers to advance in our faith and to grow in grace. And we ask, Lord, also for an opening of the understanding, that deep work of salvation in the hearts of those who are out of Christ. And sometimes, Lord, that bondage may be very deep. It may be that someone is religious. Maybe they've attended church for a while. Maybe they know some things about the Bible. But Lord, they are not truly converted. And Father, we pray that tonight they will be brought from the darkness of confusion and deception and into the light and liberty and truth of true salvation. So, Father, hear our prayers tonight, we ask. And bless us now, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a joyful theme uh, to consider, as we are doing today, the doctrine of the ascension of our Lord Jesus and of His return back to earth again. And so, as those two men spoke to the eleven apostles... They also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. We noted this morning that this is the only recorded eyewitness record of the ascension of Christ. We have noted in the past that the resurrection of the Lord was seen by many more people, and the Lord showed Himself alive to many. There were above 500 on one occasion that witnessed that, but only 11. 11 of His chosen men were there to witness on that particular day. And they had just heard of the final commandment to go and spread His Word, the wonderful works of God, the great and glorious gospel message. The essential nature of the the Lord's rising and going up to heaven, it's part of the gospel. It's one of those elements of the gospel that as you look at and and, and examine, and you try to dissect it as we do for our study purposes, and we try to look at all the angles of it, but all of these parts of the gospel message and truth, they're so important that you think, well, is one more important than the other? Is the cross more important than the resurrection? The resurrection more than the ascension, and so on. And it's very difficult and perhaps a little bit dangerous to say, well, one is more important than the other because they all must be together. And if you were to take out one element from the entire gospel picture, well, you would be left with a deficient gospel. And so therefore, it's important. We must always see the redemptive work of Christ as one entire picture. 
And yet we will receive much blessing by doing closer examination into each part along the way. And I would say to you that the ascension, the bodily rising of Christ to heaven, is as is important in the gospel picture as the cross and the resurrection because it has also been equally attacked by those who are infidels and heretics. And Satan wants to undermine every single part of the glorious work of Christ. Because if questions can be raised about the accuracy or the legitimacy of the cross and the resurrection, it would be easier to throw scorn on the doctrine of the ascension of Christ. The unbeliever says this. He says, well, show me the hard evidence. Because if I don't see the hard evidence, I'm only going to conclude that the whole matter is just another outlandish tale. It's just another religious dream. And it's not based in what we look at as the reality of hard evidence. But I say to you that the people who are looking to see the hard evidence of the cross of Christ and His death and His resurrection and His ascension, they would not be convinced if they were standing there and they saw the crucifixion, or they were standing there and they saw the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Because there are people in the day of Christ that saw the risen Lord and that did not believe in Him. There are people that stood at the cross and they saw the Lord being crucified. And the Jews said, let Him come down from the cross and then we'll believe Him. Because the hardness and the blindness and the darkness of the human heart is so intense and so entrenched in darkness that they will not believe even if they were to see great wonders, great miracles, as many did in Jesus' day. There are those who witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And yet they turned and went away and did not believe. I suggest to you that the bodily ascension of Christ was a finishing touch, if we could put it that way, to the gospel building. It was a, a fitting completion of the earthly mission of Christ. And if that was not there, it may be like this little illustration. You could imagine a building site that is empty, and the excavation people have come in and they've dug the foundation, and they have set the foundation, and the building begins to be built. And you can see it piece by piece going together. And yet, when all was done on the building site, and all the heavy equipment is taken away, and you have the building there, but the grounds around the building are still littered with all the construction debris. And if you've seen one of those sites, it is very ugly. It doesn't look pretty at all. There are mounds of dirt. There's garbage left around. The driveway has not been completed. The landscaping is not done. No trees planted. And the thing is just left there. Well, what would you think about such a construction project? You would think, it's not done. 
They, they didn't finish their job. It's not finished, not complete. And so that's a small picture for us to see that the ascension of the Lord was kind of a, a crowning element. It was a finishing touch of the gospel building of the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In part one, we noted that the ascension of our Lord marked the end of His humiliation. The Savior left the glory of heaven to come down to earth, and that step was a large aspect of His humiliation. And when He became a man, and He took on human nature, and He took on the form of a servant, and He became the God-man. It was not just for His short life of a number of years on earth, but He has now assumed humanity into His deity for all eternity. And that is a wonder that we cannot comprehend. It is the great miracle and the mystery of what we call the Incarnation. And our friend, that step of condescension Jesus Christ did for us. Have you thought about that today? Have you let that sink down into your heart and mind? It is a great subject to dwell off and on because often in because you are just left. He loved me so much. He loved me that He would take my nature to Himself. And that would be not just for a little time, but for all eternity. And the ascension also speaks to us of the fulfilling of the promise that Jesus made to go and prepare a place for us. Great comfort He gave to His disciples in John 14. And He promised them, if I go, that I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And as I go, I'm going to make preparation. I'm going to look forward to your coming to join Me where I am. And then the third thought this morning was this, that Christ's ascension to glory, it was the commencement of His high priestly ministry. And for us as believers to know that our names are engraven on the hands of Christ, that He bears the scars of Calvary to this very point in earthly time and of eternal time, and they will never go from Him. They will always be there. And we can be encouraged about that great truth that what our Lord Jesus is doing right now in glory, because He has ascended, He is ever living to make intercession for us. He is praying for us. He is presenting the value and the merit of His glorious atoning work constantly before His heavenly Father. And believer, that means that tonight we are never left destitute. We are never left alone. We are never left wondering 
Where is my Savior? What is He doing for me? Can He hear me? Does He hear me? Is He responding? Yes, He hears you. Yes, He is attending. Yes, He is responding because He is governing all His church. And in that governing that He is doing today, He is overseeing. He is taking care of meticulous details of our lives because He is the great head of the church. He is the great governor and ruler And He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The fourth point I leave with you as we begin part two is this. The ascension paved the way for Christ's physical return to earth. When the suffering and humiliation of the Messiah were finished on earth, it did not mean that His work was done. When He ascended, He received another stage, if we could put it that way, or degree of glory. It was a step toward the final exaltation of Him as King and Lord. And the return of Christ to earth, when He will judge the world in righteousness, is another step in that exaltation. And when you think about these things as we try to comprehend them as steps or as processes, it's all part of a great plan and decree of God from all eternity. The Lord did not make up these things on the fly. He did not make them up just to fill the gap. No, they were part of the plan of the Lord from all eternity. The Lord Jesus tells us in John 5, as He spoke to the disciples and the Pharisees, that judgment was given to Him from His Father. Judgment given to Him from His Father. And yet, very specifically, the Lord said when He came to earth, He did not come to earth to judge or to condemn. The Lord came to earth on that earthly ministry of redemption. But the King who came to redeem and not to judge at that time is telling them, but there is coming a day. There is coming a time because my Father hath placed within my authority as the King and Judge and Governor to be the one to evaluate, to evaluate every human being, to evaluate every thought, to evaluate every motive, and to make judgment upon the hearts and desires and will of men. And that day my friends, is yet to come. And that will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It is the word, the Bema judgment seat. For the Christian, the Lord Jesus has already 
borne our punishment for sin. He has paid that debt. We are not going to appear before the judgment seat to give account for our sinful life because those sins have been taken away. We are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that is our home. The evaluation that will be for the life of the Christian, as we have been given our talents, have we used our talents? What rewards will be granted to us for those talents that He has blessed us with? But the judgment seat will be for those that have denied Christ and refused Him and have died in their rejection. And so when Jesus said that judgment, all judgment was given unto Him, He is relaying what His Father has placed within His hand. In Acts chapter 10, I'd like you to turn there please for a moment. In Acts chapter 10, In verse 34, this is the account of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Cornelius had seen a vision from the Lord, and in that he was to send for the apostle Peter. And as Peter himself was in the upper, on the roof of the house where he dwelt, God was also speaking to Peter. And that was the occasion of the sheet being let down from heaven and him seeing all these what appeared to be unclean animals. And the Lord said to Peter, Arise, slay and eat. Peter said, No, I will not. I will, I've never taken anything unclean. And God said to him, Don't call unclean what I have cleansed. And the whole picture was to introduce to Peter, who was a Jew, that God was going to open the door to the entire Gentile world of the gospel. And so this is a most significant turning point in the book of Acts, in the life of Peter, certainly in the life of Cornelius and his family, but the gospel door was going to be open wide. And so now look at the report that Peter gives. He says in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Remember, he has already seen the vision of the sheet coming down of the unclean animals. He now has gone to Cornelius' house. He has met with him. He has heard what they have testified. But in every nation... He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, 
which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth on him shall receive the remission of sins. This most significant juncture in the dissemination of the Word of God, the Gospel. And now Peter's giving this sermon, this message. And it's very important to connect and see how the apostles explain the Gospel, how it happened, how it transpired. And now he tells us and shows us that Christ was ordained to be the Redeemer. He was ordained also to be the judge. And he uses this phrase, the judge of the quick and the dead. This work of the Son of God is both present and it is future as He governs now and will finally judge at His return. All of this was contingent upon His ascending to heaven. So keep in mind, we are thinking about the importance of the ascension of Christ because of what it means for His promise to return back again as He left in a bodily form. So He will come back again. And He will come for a very clear point. The return of the Lord Jesus was taught clearly by Him and His disciples, and they did not doubt it. In fact, in Matthew 24 and verse 3, the disciples asked this question. They said, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so we're backing up a little bit now, for the Lord had not been crucified yet. In Matthew 24, He had just left Jerusalem. He said to them, their house is left to them desolate. And then the disciples, they want to show the Lord all the finery of the temple and all the beauty of the stones. And Jesus just told them, I will say to you that there will not be one stone left upon another. The whole of the temple, all of Jerusalem will be destroyed which was fulfilled in 70 A.D. But the disciples, after the Lord said that to them, they now are inquisitive. They want to know from Him. Tell us, what will be the sign of Thy coming and of the end of the world? Our Lord Jesus Christ promised that He was coming back again. 
And this is one of the great elements of His ascension that He will return again. The word coming that is used here and in most of the New Testament times, or in many of them, that refers to the arrival, the appearing, and the advent of the Lord Jesus. It's the most common reference to this in the New Testament. There are a couple of other ones, but this is one of the main ones. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, we have these words. Paul said, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the coming of the Lord, the appearing of Christ, was presented and taught through all of the New Testament epistles. We have already read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning, Paul said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, the parousia of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. We will not come before them that have already died. And now note this, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Notice it is Christ Himself that will let this great shout of victory and triumph from Him. And the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that portion closes with this word, wherefore comfort one another with these words. My dear friends, let the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ let the certainty of that doctrine of the return of the Master be of immense comfort to our hearts in every changing scene and stage of this life. Because there is so much uncertainty. There is so much that will trouble the heart and mind. There is so much that will come to take the feet from underneath us. Let our thoughts be constantly upon this great truth that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to this world again. And my friend, the ascension shows us in the final point. It shows that heaven and not this sinful earth is our final destination. This world as we know it is not going to end well. God has decreed that this world will be destroyed. And Peter gives a fearful description of this in 2 Peter chapter 3. 
He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will come suddenly. It will come unexpectedly. In the which, he says, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. In this portion, the word elements is the Greek word that means first principles. So he's talking about that which is in the world of material things. He says the elements, the first principles, we would say the building blocks of matter, those things, they will become molten. They will be dissolved. Now, we know that matter itself is not evil, but the whole economy and makeup of this earth will come under the judgment of God to make a way for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter says that very thing in 2 Peter chapter 3. The believer will escape this judgment of God and they will inherit, we all will inherit a place prepared for us to be with the Lord forever and forever and forever. Now where exactly that will be in the new heaven and the new earth, we will have to wait and see. But wherever that will be, it will be with Christ, which is far better, because that is our eternal home. And it's the place of peace. It's the place of joy. It's the place where there will be no more tears and agony and sorrow. I was speaking to someone just the other day, and we were talking about the concept of heaven and the idea of how we can understand this as we are so natural and physically minded. And how do we enter into a perception of what heaven is like? And what will it be to imagine that people we thought would have been there are not there? And the anguish that will be in the heart of people of God to be in glory and some will be missing, not there. And that's when the Lord, I believe, will have to come and wipe away all tears from our eyes because of that time of grief or of anguish. Because in glory, there can be no sadness or sorrow. Christ will wipe all of those things away. And believer, whatever trials and heartaches you are experiencing in the here and now, whatever grief we have to go through, it is only for this present time. It is only for here and now. It is not going to be for glory. For our ascended, risen Lord has coming back again to this world. And as He comes back, He will take us to be with Him forever and forever before this great and final destruction of the world comes. Peter is speaking here about the total 
destruction of everything that we know in this world as all the matter is concerned. And when the Lord says, this must be destroyed before a new heaven and a new earth will be made. And there is some disagreement between Bible scholars as to what exactly this means in the destruction of the earth. Is it a complete annihilation of the earth? and a brand new earth being made? Or is it going to be such a destruction of the earth and of all the first principles of matter that everything's going to be dissolved and God will start over again to make the earth new as it was before sin occurred when the earth was first created? Whatever will be the case, friend, we know that what our Lord Jesus has planned to do. He will do it perfectly. And where He is, there we will be with Him. And our eternal home and our eternal place of residence will be with our Lord. A new heaven, I'm happy to be there. A new earth, I'm very happy to be there. But where it is, I really don't care so long as I am with the Lord, my Savior. And is that not your heart tonight as well? We're we're not looking for a place. We're not looking for a destination that we have a picture in our mind of a great holiday place or a great paradise. No, friend. We are considering tonight that we will be forever with our Lord. We will be in that place with Him. Our Lord Jesus came the first time as a servant in great humiliation. But He will come the second time as the King and Lord, and He will put down all opposition. He will defeat Satan and death forever. Seeing then, Peter wrote, that all these things shall be dissolved, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, in all holy behavior, and in godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? And then he repeats again this truth, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Wherefore, beloved, he says, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. So Peter is impressing upon the church, upon believers, that when we have all this knowledge that God has given to us, about the future and what's going to come. He is saying to the Christian in every generation, take care of how you live. Take care of how you conduct your business. Take care of how you are a testimony and an ambassador for Christ because we are to live in Him in peace, without spot, without any stain of compromise or sin, and be found blameless. So, the qualification for elder, for deacon, of being without blame, 
It is a qualification that fits for all of God's people. We are all to be nearing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude tonight, think of this. We are to live each day in the light of Christ's return. It's hard to do, actually. It's hard to do because we are creatures of time and we are creatures of habit and of business. But that's the command of God. We have just read it. And therefore, let us pray that we will live in the light of our Lord's return, that we will be anticipating that every day, that we will be looking for and hasting unto the coming, that we will say, as John did, Lord Jesus, even so come quickly, hasten that day, Lord. Ah, but help me to be waiting and expecting. And then also, that we will keep perspective on material things. That we will see them for what they are and we'll keep them in the right place. That we will use them, enjoy them, delight in them, but we will always remember that these material things must be kept in their right place and never to allow them to become a God to be put in front of our Lord and of His work. And again, isn't that an easy thing to say? But all of us will struggle with it. All of us will wrestle with that truth. And I pray again, and we pray, that the Lord will enable us. And this last thought, and I close with this, that we will invest our treasure in heaven. Investing our treasure in heaven. Why would we do that? Well, because there will be eternal reward for that, and the Lord promises. You cannot give a glass of water to someone in Christ's name without receiving that reward. You cannot help someone. You cannot encourage another believer in Christ's name without knowing that your Lord will hear and He will answer because you're investing in glory in heaven. And of course, the reason to invest in heaven to that spiritual degree that we are called to do is because that's a lasting reward. Everything else will be dissolved. It will melt away with that fervent heat. But it's only what is done for Christ that will last. And that's where we are to live our life. And that's where we are to pursue the Lord and seek after Him. And I pray that that will be the case for us all uh, tonight. Let's bow, please, in prayer. As our heads are all bowed and our, our eyes are closed and we just bring the service to a close, maybe, friend, that you find that there's some unsettled or unfinished business between your own heart and the Lord. I'm not judging you. You're not judging me. But we examine our hearts before Him. 
And we just say, Lord, have your perfect way in us. And you make that prayer, and you seek him tonight on that ground. Lord, we are thankful for the ground of prayer that we have through Christ Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And we do so tonight, giving ourselves afresh into your hand and praying, Father, that a great and deep work of sanctification would be done in us. And so that, Lord, we would see these realities as spiritual realities. We would see them, Father, as laying up treasure in our heavenly home. And help us not to be too tied to the things of this world, but to make use of them for the time we have. And Lord, we are thankful for every mercy and blessing, every temporal thing we have, they are in abundance. And dear Lord, we pray that our lives would be given over to Your full service. And so, Father, receive our thanks for our time tonight. Bless our fellowship downstairs. Take us all to our homes in safety after. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.